there's like two ways to look at success. There's no question that it is a long road, steady incline, right? You just have to keep grinding and grinding. But if you zoom in on that long road, you will see that it's an EKG or a stock market, really. But the key is to just keep going. The other thing is never underestimate the imagination of a theater maker. Well, hello and welcome to the Unstoppably Creative Podcast, where I'm going to show you how to increase your confidence, build momentum, and create wildly successful results. I'm your host, Leslie Becker, and I'm here to help you have an unstoppably creative life. So let's get to it. Oh my gosh, you guys, I am so excited about introducing you to my longtime friend, colleague, um, someone I've admired for years of my life, Mr. Ken Davenport. For those of you who are in theater, you know this name very well. You might have worked with him. You might have listened to his podcast. You might have read his blog. You might have purchased his games that he created. You might have seen shows that he wrote or produced. So this is someone I consider so multi-creative, multi-unstoppably creative. Um, so he was a perfect person for me to um, and just speak with today. So Ken, I'm really thrilled that you're here. Thank you. It's my pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So Ken, you and I go back a long time. I actually was kind of looking at seeing if I could find some photos. So once I edit this, I might throw up some photos <laughs> of you and me young, in our younger days because we've known each other it's over 20 years now that we've known each other, which yeah, is crazy. That's crazy because I was in um, New York for 25 years. Um, and I think I met you right when I moved there. So I've, I've known you a very long time and watched you um, just grow and excel in this business and contribute to theater in the most incredible ways. So um, I'm, I'm a fan and a friend. So thank you. Uh, for being thank you. It's likewise, likewise. Thank you. So I really want to just give let let you people hear from you um, just kind of those humble beginnings. You know, the first time that I um, was introduced to you in terms of business was when we were in Cinderella um, together. You were company manager, um, and um, I was in the show, and that was when we first knew each other um, in a business sense. But what were your you know what was your real starting point that you feel like started you on this path of just being so passionate about theater? Well, my mother tells me that I first kicked while she was watching a production of Godspell back in 1972. Uh, so I always say I had it in me then, and I actually produced the first revival of Godspell on Broadway yeah. in 2011. So I told Stephen Schwartz when I did that, it was destiny. I had to do it. I had no <laughs> so I got started when I was very young. I got, you know, my parents dragged me to an audition when I was five years old for the local community theater. They actually got divorced when I was five. I also don't think that was a coincidence. I think the theater was the one place that they could get along, hmm. uh, which is somewhat my metaphor for the theater in general. It's this place where, you know, on Broadway, 1,500, 2,000 people could come together and with the right show, with the right actors, the right everything, all those people, no matter what their gender, their race, their religion, whatever, with the right circumstances, the right show, they can be united in one message and one voice uh, from the authors and the artists on stage. So the theater united my family in a strange way, even when they were divided. Uh, I did theater until I was about 12 years old, got way too cool for it. Thought I was going <laughs> to play for the Boston Red Sox and the Boston Celtics simultaneously. Like I was nice. going to be that kid. Disney was going to make movies about me. It's going to be great. <laughs> Uh, and then I got rebit by the bug my senior year of high school when I saw Les Mis and 
you know, I consider myself part of that late Miz generation. There's a whole bunch of us around our age that are in the business today because they saw that and said, wow, I didn't realize theater could move people that way. I thought theater was just Annie or Cats or whatever, which were all great shows and lovely. But all of a sudden, you know, Les Mis proved to be, I think, our generation's showboat, West Side Story, Oklahoma, whatever you want to call it. So I very quickly after that uh, switch from my pre-law uh, future where I was, I went to Johns Hopkins University for a year, ended up doing more theater there than anywhere else. And then I transferred to Tisch at NYU for my sophomore year. And that's where it really began because I, I remember going to NYU and saying, I'm just going to go to NYU because I'll be in New York and I'll meet someone that will segue me into the business. Like that's, I like threw it out there. I, you know, it's the, it was the secret and before the secret was even known to me or any of that. It was just like, that's what, what'll happen. Yeah. And that's exactly what happened. I, I met a professor, a uh, man named Jack Lee, who since passed, and he recommended me for a production assistant position on My Fair Lady in 1993. And that's when it started. I didn't know what being a PA meant. I just knew I had to do it, that I had to be around the development and the creation of a new Broadway show, even though it was a revival. And that's where my life changed. I all of a sudden, my eyes were open to all the other different positions on a Broadway show from company manager, which I did for 10 years to costume design, which I never ever did because I can't stand <laughs> uh, that side of the business. I'm so bad with it. And uh, press uh, publicist agents. And of course the producer. And I'll never forget the first day I saw Barry Weissler stand up in front of the group and talk about what he was doing as a producer. And I was like, oh, that. I want to do that. Uh, and I spent 10 years as the company manager and general manager. And then in 2004, stepped out on my own and started creating and developing and producing shows of my own. So that's where, you know, I'm a little different. I've produced a number of revivals and uh, had some great success with them. But the real core of what I do and what got me started were shows that I came up with the ideas with. I pulled together people and we created it and developed it and produced it and people came. And people came. And you know, what's all, what I've always just so appreciated about you is just such an outside of the box thinker. You've always found amazingly creative ways, not only to, pursue this wonderful world of theater, but actually how you've gone about producing things. Um, tell us a little bit about the um, the Godspell revival, because you did something incredibly creative that everybody probably looked at you and said, that's insane. Yeah, I hear that a lot in my, I've heard that a lot in my life and business. And usually when someone says that's crazy, there's no way we can do it. That's when I know I have to do it. And <laughs> Part of that is just pure like stubbornness on my part. Like I'll show you that I can do this, yeah. uh, which is not the best quality to have in business. But at the same time, what also triggers me is, oh, they think it's crazy and insane, which means two things. One, no one's ever done it before. And whenever something hasn't been done before, it automatically gets attention. Uh, and the other thing is when people think something's like there's two ways to hear that. Like, and and I, I say this to everyone out there pursuing really anything. When someone says that's nuts, that's crazy, that's ridiculous, there's a way to hear like they're being negative. But if you flash forward a year when you've actually done it 
they will take on a totally different tone of voice. That is amazing. That's incredible. That is crazy. That is ridiculous. But it will have this, I can't believe what I just saw or witnessed that someone actually pulled it off. Yeah. And that actually, from a marketing standpoint, that energy translates to word of mouth, both for your product, yourself, and everything. So I recognize those things. Uh, in fact, I, I have a, I, I teach a formula that I call like dramatic marketing. One of the key elements is when you're coming up with these things, you ask yourself, has this ever been done before? Uh, and that's been the core of my marketing, uh, my marketing process. But yeah, on, on Godspell, what I did was I crowdfunded it. So we, we, rather than, you know, the typical way you raise money for a Broadway show is through big time investors, hundred thousand, fifty thousand dollars at a time, half a million. And I just had this belief that there were a whole bunch of other people out there that wanted to invest in Broadway shows. They just, one, didn't know how to do it, and two, didn't want to plunk down $25,000. So we let people invest for as little as 1000 And I had 737 investors, and uh, we did it. Uh, now, it seems easy when I say it, but it's a, it was a giant regulatory hurdle because they don't just allow that sort of thing, especially we allowed people to invest whether they were an accredited investor or not, it gets very technical, but um, it was uh, quite a thing. And crowdfunding, the power of the small was coming together. Mm -hmm. uh, social networks were just beginning, right? So I wanted to prove that a whole bunch of people passionate about something. And the other reason I did it, and this is the, the other core piece of all the marketing initiatives that I've done and been known for, it has to be connected and organic to the product somehow. So Stephen Schwartz, I asked him, like, what is Godspell about? And he said, it's about a community of people coming together. Hmm. And I took that and I said, well, what if I could build the largest community of producers and investors? So the business model matches the artistic message. And that's where things really start to fire when you're developing our marketing initiatives for shows. Now, do you consider yourself first and foremost a marketer? How do you, you know, you have so many wear so many hats and do them all so gracefully and well. Is there one that you say, this is, this is the core of who I am? It's a really great question because I have an existential crisis about every 30 minutes about <laughs> what I am or who I am or what I'm doing. <laughs> and, you know, I, I call myself now, and it's like the title of the theater maker studio. I call myself a theater maker. That's really what I do. Um, I make theater. And just like any inventor, creator, like, like that's the thing. I sometimes come up with the ideas for the shows and then I put them into action, which is the same thing that Henry Ford did, Steve Jobs did, Sarah Blakely did. Like, it's the same thing. They, they often create the thing and then they build the thing and then they market the thing. So I, I feel like that's what I am. I'm a startup guy. I come up with ideas for products. They just happen to be musicals. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I pull all the pieces together to make it happen. Sometimes I'm literally the guy writing the shows themselves. Sometimes I'm not. Um, so marketing for me, Kate, was born out of necessity. A lot of people have said like to me, oh, like, oh you're such an interesting marketer and unique and da-da-da. I've been hired as marketing consultants like by big like non-theatrical companies, which like I'm always like, really? <laughs> but one, marketing is marketing. It doesn't matter what the product yeah. is. Um, and, and the other thing is I'm, I'm marketing, I'm a marketer by necessity. Like I created my very first show I created was called the awesome eighties prom. And the fact of the matter is no one was coming. 
Nobody. <laughs> but I knew we had something that people loved when they came. And I had to become a marketer just to get my baby, my invention, to survive. So I think all inventors, all CEOs of startups or founders of startups have to be marketers. Mm -hmm. You have to know how to get attention for, you have to be publicity agents, you have to be uh, finance guru, you have to be all of it, right? And people ask me often all like, what is the key element of being a producer these days or something? And I think understanding marketing or how to get attention for your show is one of the key, uh, key components of that. And Listen, this goes to people who want to be actors as well. Like you have to be a great marketer. Talent is not always what makes it. Everyone, everybody out there knows so many people who are so incredibly talented, but should be in movies and should be starring in Broadway shows and should be, should be. And sometimes the missing piece is a marketing piece. Yeah, totally. When did um or what was the impetus of the producer's perspective? If you guys don't know, he has this incredible blog that has been running for how many years now? It's so that's another funny thing that you say because I, I've been quoting the statistic of like I've been writing my blog for 10 years, 10 years, 10 years. It's been 14 years now. It's incredible. 2007, we started that thing. And this is a daily blog. This is not a weekly or a monthly, right? Well, it's it's a little less now. So we do it probably about three times a week now nice. on average. But yeah, it started every day. Uh, and the impetus was because I had ideas and I like to talk and <laughs> I like to put ideas out into the world and hear people's response, including whether they hate them or not. Yeah. Um, but the core reason I did it and the core reason I do a lot of the other things I do besides create shows including the board game, Be a Broadway Star or Theater Maker Studio or all my, you know, entrepreneurial pursuits that are not shows. It's because I, listen, I love the theater so much and I so want it to not only survive, but thrive. And so a core mission of mine is to amplify the conversation about the theater. Because if I can get people talking about the theater, even if it's like that crazy Ken Davenport's idea on his blog, that's the most ridiculous thing. Don't you agree with me? If I can get people talking, then they just may want to get involved. They just may want to go see another show, invest in a show, write their own show because they hate what I did. Like whatever it is, like it's just starting conversations, including the board game. So this board game I invented, you mentioned in my introduction called Be a Broadway Star. That's about, because if, if I can get kids on a Friday night playing Be a Broadway Star instead of playing Apples to Apples, well, then theater is just in their head and on their mind. And maybe next time they talk about a family vacation or a trip, they'll think, we should go see a Broadway show. Remember that time you won a Tony Award while playing Be a Broadway Star? Like <laughs> anything to keep the conversation going is something that I'm interested in doing. I love that. This might be an odd question, but you know, so often when I talk to people I consider successful, is when I ask them about their success, um, people have different answers. Some people feel like there was a moment in time that happened that jumped them over to this new level, or some people look at it almost as this continuum. Do you have a moment in your life where you felt like, ooh, I feel successful, or this feels right, or has it just been this, you know, based in your purpose, and so every moment you just are moving through it? 
Yeah, look, there. I've certainly had moments like that, but then usually they're followed by a moment where someone takes you down, like many, many pegs to remind you that you're not. Um, I don't know, I'll give you a couple of great examples. Like I remember getting the, like my actually first and second show, the Awesome Ladies Prom, Tiny, Tiny Show, and Alter Boys both got raves in the New York Times. And Prom, when it got one, we didn't sell any tickets. And I was like, what? And then it kind of made sense. Oh, that's not the audience. Then Alter Boys got a rave and we didn't sell that many more tickets. Interesting. And I literally remember thinking like, reading the review like, ha royalties are going to pour in. This is going to be great. I am set. Didn't happen. Right? Didn't happen. And I had to turn into a marketer to grind that sucker out for five years. And then the other one was, um, of course, you know, I was very lucky to uh, win a Tony Award for the revival of Once on this Island. So I'm on stage, you know, delivering an acceptance speech at Radio City Music Hall. The next day I start a, a rehearsal for getting the band back together, a new musical that had been long gestating. And right on the heels of winning a Tony Award, getting the band back together opened. Critics didn't like it. Audiences went crazy for it, but it was a new musical. wasn't based on, it had no intellectual property that was like branded, nothing. And critics kill it. So it died just like that. And Mary Lou Henner, who has become a friend who was in that show, was like, welcome, welcome to the business. And I was like, but Mary Lou, I've been in this business for 25 years. She said, the moment you're at a high, there will always be something. And it's often the business itself and the people in it. They will pull you back down. And you just have to, you know, keep going. So I believe there's like two ways to look at success. There's no question that it is a long road, steady incline, right? You just have to keep grinding and grinding. But if you zoom in on that long road, you will see that it's an EKG or a stock market, really. Yeah. It has peak valley, peak valley, peak valley. What you just want to make sure is like the stock market it's overall going up, but you are going to have crashes. You are going to have dips and valleys and huge spikes. And then, a dip. I mean, it's going to be all over the place, but the key is to just keep going mm -hmm. and you will keep it on that you know, long trend upward trajectory. And I think that's true for really anything, any business you're starting yeah. or life in general, that we have those highs, we have those lows. The thing that I think keeps people on the upward trajectory is learning. It's just an obsession with learning and education and study and objectiveness and accepting criticism and learning. I mean, you know, I, I devour audiobooks like crazy, you know, and I haven't read or listened to a fiction book in a long time. It's just biographies or, or nonfiction or let me learn about this, let me learn about this. And that, I think, is what what really separates people because if you're open to learning and training constantly throughout your career, you can't help but get better. Yeah, totally. What really juices you up in life aside from theater? What are the things that really just keep you going and that um, are maybe the, the secret part of Ken that maybe people don't know? Well, there are really, you know, three things I do. I, I, uh, I'm a theater maker. I am a dad to a uh, two-year-old and I'm a golfer. So the golfer is the secret thing that not a lot of people know about. But 
that is the thing that I do that I love to do that. And everybody needs one of these things. Yeah. You know, I do some of my best thinking and my, uh, when I'm on, I actually like to play golf a lot by myself. So that's an even other secret thing. Cause a lot of people think it's like, Oh, you go with your buddies in a four seven. I like to get up very early in the morning and go to my club and be the first person out on the golf course and carry my own bag and walk around from hole to hole in the early morning. No one there. It's, uh, and it clears my mind and I end up usually, I have to, I've had to start keeping like Evernote or something by me because what happens is all of a sudden I'll start thinking of ideas and things. Um, so that's, that's the other, the other thing. Um, Ken, this has been awesome. I always like to close out um, an interview with what I call quick wits. And so I'm going to ask you five quick either ors and you get to, um, say, just don't even think about it. Just whatever comes off the top of your head. Okay. You got it. All right. Black or white? That's so hard. Uh, uh, White. Um, Day or night? Day. Boxers or briefs? Briefs. (laughs) Bernadette or cheetah? Bernadette. I worked with her, so it's hard. Love or war? Love. Awesome. Ken, thank you so much for this. Um, I just continue to admire you and what you have done for theater and to watch what you've just continued to grow is really incredible. And as I've kind of ventured into this whole new life, I just um, have great respect for you for sticking to it and continuing to amplify theater. So thank you so much. My pleasure. My pleasure. Good luck with everything. Thanks for having me. Oh my goodness, y'all. I don't know about you, but I was so inspired listening back to that interview. Uh, That is an interview that I did over a year ago. And to just go back and listen to it, um, to to build it for this podcast episode was just such a joy and a journey. Uh, As I said on here, Ken is someone I've known for a very, very long time. And he just really does amaze me at how he just continues to evolve no matter what's happening in theater. You know, he, he made it through all the crazy COVID years, Um, You know, he's on the other side of that and just continues to bring theater to life. And so um, I hope you enjoyed that. I certainly enjoyed that walk down memory lane of of not only connecting with uh, my friend, but really hearing again all that he's uh, been able to accomplish, but also really what he's given back to the world. And speaking of giving back to the world, be sure to check out the show notes because it has the links to the current shows that Ken has up on the boards. So here's a couple of things to check out. If you are in New York City, you can check out beginning um, on uh, November 2nd at the Broadhurst Theater on Broadway, you can check out A Beautiful Noise. It's the story of Neil Diamond and it comes to life on stage in a new musical. It's featuring the hit song Sweet Caroline, America, and Cracklin' Rosie. So be sure to check that out. He also has the Griswold's Broadway Vacation, which is a new installment of the blockbuster vacation movie franchise, but it's on stage. So the Griswold's Take Manhattan. Be sure to check that out at the Fifth Avenue Theater. Um, and then the bonus is uh, he has a new musical starting called Joy the Musical. Not only is he producing, but he also wrote the book for the musical. And that begins performances at George Street Playhouse running December 7th through the 30th. So be sure to check the show notes so you can go out and support Ken and see how he is making theater across America. All right, my friend, that's what I've got for you today. I hope you had a great time listening to this and getting to know Ken a little bit more. Be sure to check out his website. You can go to the show notes and see all the links to find all things Ken Davenport. 
I look forward to uh, being with you next time as you continue living this unstoppably creative life. Until then, you have a great one. Bye-bye.